It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Kyle Krabs here, host of Locked On NFL Scouting. Join Joe Marino and me every day as we provide position-by-position analysis of the upcoming NFL Draft. Check out the Locked On NFL Scouting podcast with the Draft Dudes on YouTube or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. Who they think they're going to beat them Bengals? It is the Locked On Bengals podcast with your hosts, Joe Goodberry and Jake Lisko. Find us on Twitter at Joe Goodberry and at Jake underscore NFL. Please like, subscribe, and share as we try to grow this community and pump out daily Bengals content just for you. What up, Bengals fans, and welcome to another episode of the Lockdown Bengals podcast. Today, there's no Joe Goodberry. He's at work or something unfortunate like that. But instead, I've got a special guest on who I'll introduce momentarily. Before I do, a quick reminder that the podcast is available on the Himalaya podcast app on Apple Podcasts, iTunes, Google Podcasts, and on Spotify. I know that there are issues, though, if you use Google Play or Google Music. So if you use one of those two things and you're having issues, try to check out one of those other ways of listening to the podcast, also available online. But more interestingly, today we have another guest from Pro Football Focus. This is Evan McPhillips. You can find him on Twitter at PFFSIN, is it? Uh, yes, we are. Uh, PFF underscore Bengals is our Cincinnati Bengals account, so you can follow that account for all of the wonderful Bengals PFF data we'll have coming at you throughout training camp and the rest of the season. And you can follow me at my personal account at E-M-C-P-H-I-L, E-McPhil. E-McPhil. And Evan has been a great resource for me individually. We've asked him to do some research for us a couple times, and he's come through uh, big time. He's he's got the uh, he's a guy that I don't know if anybody remembers, but back in May I asked you to look into John Ross's uh, route tree. Absolutely, what, what routes he was asked to run, and because to me it's a question of how is that going to change, and, uh-huh. and is there room for it to change? Because as PFF pointed out this week in their in their one hundred questions uh, series on the Bengals is the Bengals were the the second highest utilization of of eleven personnel last year. Yeah, they were actually in 11 personnel a lot last year. And I think you saw that it kind of gave opportunities to Ross than had been and kind of forced their hand to play him, even though he'd been in the doghouse, quote unquote, for a while. Um, And I think that's going to lead to a lot more opportunity with him coming out this year, too. And kind of digging through those routes uh, for you, I kind of got curious and looked at Brandon Cook's route tree, um, thinking that there would be some similarities between his role in the offense and John Ross's. And it turns out that a lot of the uh, a lot of the routes that Brandon Cooks received targets on, which were largely crossing routes, hitches, and screens, were also a lot of John Ross's best routes in 2018 based on his passer rating when he was targeted on those routes, which were, again, crossing routes, hitches, and screens. So hopefully that translates to a uh, more effective role for Ross in the offense this year and hopefully a little better stats for Andy Dalton as well, too. Yeah, that's kind of exactly what I've said a few times when the question of John Ross and the transition to the Rams offense has come up is just run him on crossers all day. 
Run them on play action crossers all day. I don't really care what you do with everybody else. Just let John Ross run across <laughs> the field, get him as as many free releases as you can. And if Andy Dalton has time to throw it 20 yards downfield, he's actually really good at throwing those corner routes. And I know a, a crosser isn't quite a corner, but it requires the same sort of throw. Actually, yeah. Uh, corners were Andy Dalton's, one of his best routes coming off of play action, actually. He has, in the last four seasons, a 127.1 uh passer rating on corner routes coming off of play action so pretty good ratings there um and he's been pretty good off of crossers too so hopefully if you've watched joe goodberry's series on the athletic which is really good if you haven't checked it out i recommend it uh you would definitely see that crossers and vertical routes and concepts are definitely going to be a staple of this offense hopefully coming forward and that should mean a lot more production for all these guys I think my question with John Ross is if he can overcome some of the concentration issues that have shown up in the professional ranks that he didn't show at all at Washington. He didn't have these drop issues. He didn't. He wasn't fighting the ball. He wasn't trying to catch it with his body. He was actually a good hands catcher. So we'll see if some of those tendencies start to go away. the The big question is, can he can he slow down his thinking? Or, or eliminate his thinking and just go out there and play? And that's been echoed by Tyler Boyd. And I think it's been really... One of the bigger things holding him back is just those mental hurdles uh, yeah, over the past couple of years. Absolutely. I think he's really – you can hear it in kind of his tone coming out through all the quotes in the offseason too is that he's feeling a lot more confident. Mm-hmm. And it sounds like he's kind of getting back to just playing football, which I think is going to be a lot better for him. Just not do so much thinking and just a little more playing and let the game come to him naturally. That's what we all hope, right? I mean this is a guy that was a top 10 pick. And if you're talking top 10 pick a wide receiver, that – He's an elite company, and I know it was a weak draft class that year. Nobody's really done much. I guess Will Fuller was a year before, and, and he's been hurt. But uh, when, when you have that top nine draft pick pedigree to your name, that there's just these lofty expectations. But before we get too into the weeds, we've had some really interesting conversation already, which is great. I just wanted to give you a quick chance to talk about yourself a little bit, talk about how you got into football. Uh, you're, you're a Cincinnati guy, I believe, but... Um, how you got into the Bengals and pro football focus. Give us a little bit of, of autobiographical information, if you would. Absolutely. Uh, yes, I'm since he born and raised. Uh, so I've <laughs> been part of the Bengals misery uh, throughout my entire life. Uh, feels like I was watching Jerome Bettis every single week, just bowl over people and just refuse to go down. <laughs> um, that was, yeah, much of my childhood there was painful. But, uh, painful no, I really – memories, yeah. Yeah, no, that sums up a lot of our uh, early 2000s, doesn't it? But sure does. I really liked uh, really liked Chad and T.O. Man, I loved Rudy Johnson when I was young, too. Man, I, I too. loved watching him run for the Bengals. Uh, I remember when he hit 1,000 yards, and it was a really big deal. And I was like, wow, man, good. Um, but, yeah, just really loved the game watching it. Um got more involved with it as I got older and started to understand a little more and kind of get more in depth understanding with fantasy football and just reading everything just really voraciously any content that was out there and uh, I did a little freelance writing here and there and kind of decided that I wanted to see what I could do in the sports field and I was fortunate to get an opportunity to do some low-level data analysis uh, for PFF and so I went through that training process, um, got involved with them a little over two years ago now, okay. and just started off doing that. Uh, ended up down at the HQ last summer uh, for about six months for an internship. And so I did a lot uh, there with consumer services, helping out with the fantasy aspects, um, managing some social media accounts and a little bit of writing. And um, 
I just I really enjoyed that experience. Was really fortunate to have that, and did a lot of listening to people who were a lot smarter than I in terms of football and analytics. And it was just a good experience there. Um, so yeah, just pushing through strong uh, into year two here, and now we've got the Bengals media correspondent gig, which I'm holding on tight to with both hands now, and really enjoying. So I'm looking forward to getting started with the season and trying to give you guys a lot of different information and kind of challenge some narratives, and hopefully we're all better football fans for understanding. I was in that role when I was a pro football focus, the the media correspondent. I did it for the Bengals and the Colts, and. It was much easier for me to put together those those Bengals releases than it was the Colts releases at the time. Oh yeah, those rosters can get a little a uh, little thin there toward the end. You got to start really scratching the back of your head trying to remember those third, fourth, fifth guys sometimes. The Colts are so boring too. I still find the Colts <laughs> really boring. It's something about the Midwest, I think. There's just, you know, not a lot of flair out here. Uh I think a lot of people kind of count that against the Bengals and the Colts. I think the Bengals have flair. I mean, A.J. Green, Joe Mixon, Chad Johnson in there. Chad history. Johnson, the T.O., yeah, they definitely had some flair there in the mid-2000s. Uh, the mid But, you know, Andy Dalton is... Andy uh, Dalton is, is less exciting. Uh, yeah, milk toast isn't exactly the phrase I would use. But, you know, I mean, he's he's a, he's a modest guy. You know, he's going to let his play do the talking. He's a and good Gino human being. Oh, and yeah. A.J., yeah. They're the, the strong, quiet types, you know. They let their yeah. play do the talking. The, the two guys at Pro Football Focus today said we're on the pace to get into the Hall of Fame on the Bengals roster. Strong, silent types. And one Indeed. of them literally doesn't talk to the media, Gino Atkins, <laughs> and the other one's A.J. Green, of course. That kind of adds to the, the air of his legacy, too, though, doesn't it? It's almost like a really cool thing. Like, you know, he's that strong, quiet cowboy type that's kind of, you know, just out here being a badass. And then, but, you know, he just kind of walks off and doesn't even talk about it. Yeah. I don't know if you follow many players on Instagram, and I don't, but I know Geno Atkins, or at least he did have like a pretty active Instagram, and he's like a pretty normal guy. Like he's he's not a he's not like that quiet of a guy. He just doesn't talk to the media. Yeah, no, I remember Hard Knocks was a unique insight into the Bengals, and I really liked what we saw him because it was just an interesting peek behind the curtain for a guy you don't really get to see too yeah. much of, or at least back then before you know everybody lived on social media in the forefront. Right. Exactly. All right, Evan, we're going to take a quick break, and then we're going to talk about the Bengals some more. Is, is that weird? We're Bengals podcast, so I hope you're okay with it. <laughs> I'm ready. All right, we'll be right back. This Lockdown Podcast is brought to you by Home Chef. Now that the novelty of the new year has dwindled down, how are your resolutions coming? One of mine was to order less takeout, cook more at home, but I'll be honest, I haven't been consistent. That is until I found Home Chef. Home Chef provides fresh ingredients and chef-designed recipes conveniently delivered to your doorstep to simplify the cooking experience and without robbing you of the joy of putting a dish together yourself. I'm Pescatarian, and they cater to a variety of dietary needs. I had this super refreshing ginger sesame salmon, a beautiful trout dish, and a super comforting shrimp and vegetable orzo dish, all of which took me less than 30 minutes to put together. For a limited time right now, Home Chef is offering all of our listeners 18 free meals plus free shipping on your first box, and free dessert for life at homechef.com slash locked on. That's homechef.com slash locked on for 18 free meals and free dessert for life. Homechef.com slash locked on must be an active subscriber to receive free dessert. And we're back for segment two with Evan McPhillips from Cincinnati and from Pro Football Focus. We're going to talk about the Bengals, like I said, and, and I promise we'll get there. But we have to get to the quintessential Cincinnati questions first. I forgot to ask these in the open because I got distracted by John Ross and Bengals things. But 
Where'd you go to high school, Evan? I went to McNick. And for those who are not more familiar with the colloquial name, it is Archbishop McNicholas High School, uh, GCL, <laughs> down there with Moeller and St. X and LaSalle and all that. So, And, of course, I went to Princeton High School, which was a Moeller rival, but I don't think we had any crossover with you there. And And the next quintessential Cincinnati question for you, and I know our people that are listening care about this because they're also from Cincinnati and all people care about from Cincinnati is what high school you went to and what chili you eat. So what chili do you eat? Now, this is kind of like the crosstown shootout, I believe where you're forced from an early age to choose. And that's kind of your affiliation. Um, <laughs> we've been a skyline family. Oh boy. Uh, so I used to actually like, I didn't even care for the chili when I was younger, but it almost like, irked me when I would hear Gold Star like play their ads and they'd be like Gold Star Chili this is Cincinnati flavor or whatever it was and I was like no that's Skyline and I'd get like mad about it in like my little six-year-old mind or something and I don't know but yeah. no I'm, I'm Skyline Skyline over Gold Star you thought you were gonna get taken you, you thought you were gonna get shipped for that huh I'm also a Skyline I, guy I there's some people who will fight to the death over which chili it is, man, and I can't believe it because if you're if you're outside of the state, uh, I spent some time in Alabama, and you know all you'd hear is you got to try Skyline. You know you tell people you got to try Skyline. You look in the stores at Publix, and there's Skyline. You know they but, sell it in Alabama. Yeah, they got Skyline down in Publix in Alabama. Yep, man, I can't get it in Canada. I have to make my own. Oh, you have to have somebody, you know, get you get you hooked up so you can ship you a box of my, some chili. My parents have brought some stuff up to me a couple of times. Thank you, Mom. Oh, okay. <laughs> That's taking care of your son. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I grew up on Skyline every Friday for about 18 years. And and like you, I didn't eat the chili until I was a teenager. I was, I was afraid of how spicy it was as a kid, and it's not spicy, so I don't know what I was on about. I was going to say, yeah, there's, you know, what, chocolate and cinnamon in there, so it's actually pretty sweet, I guess, compared to a lot of different chilies. I actually don't make it with chocolate when I make it at home. I, uh, I don't like the way it tastes when, when I use my cocoa powder <laughs> in, my, in, my ingredient, in my recipe, but I do like it at Skyline better than what I make. It's just different. Yeah. It's just different. But, you know, the people that tend to fight the Skyline stuff tends to be... Uh, people that are like Blue Ash Chili or or some of the other ones. Or Price like Hill Chili Price or Hill Dixie Chili. chili. Yeah. 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 You don't hear very many vocal Golden or uh, Gold Star fans. No, not too many. But, you know, when they do come out, they come out swinging. Oh, do they? I haven't had yeah. that experience. I'm surprised no one's hopped in your mentions yet and tried to tried to fight you online over it. <laughs> you know what? If, if Gold Star wanted to sponsor this podcast, I'd start eating Gold Star. I, I, I can I, be bought. I can be bought. I can understand. I won't, <laughs> I won't fault you for it. All right. So those are the Cincinnati questions. I mean, they're all Cincinnati questions. We're talking about the <laughs> Bengals here, but those are the ones that we have to get out of the way on a Cincinnati podcast and a Cincinnati guy. So let's get back into the Bengals. And, and I, I sent you a few questions ahead of time to let you do some research and, and give you some time to think. So I'll start with the first one. Do you have any interesting theories or predictions that we haven't heard about yet that that you want to throw at me and, and and I'll be your sounding board and I'll tell you if you sound crazy or not? So I don't have anything, you know, hot takey or groundbreaking. Um, I'm working on a piece that will come out later this week on Andy Dalton and just kind of the involvement of the play action and the offense. And um, 
through our earlier conversation on Twitter with myself and Joe was asking about the average time to pressure on play action dropbacks right. and non play action dropbacks, um, which was 2.37 seconds on non play action dropbacks and 2.7 on the play action dropbacks. Um, and so that would be a really important thing, obviously, with a weaker offensive line that the Bengals want to buy more time for Dalton. They want to use this misdirection to try and prolong the amount of time he has to kind of process, progress through his reads, and hopefully they can move him outside the pocket too and kind of let him make plays. Um, So Dalton last season, through the first four weeks, he ranked third among quarterbacks with at least 150 dropbacks in overall grade. He had an 88.9, which was behind only Drew Brees and Pat Mahomes. Yeah, he came out hot last year. He did. He did really well. And a lot of people want to get on him because of the Panthers game, because if you look at the the box score, oh, he threw all these interceptions. What happened? Well, if you actually go back and watch him, a lot of them got tipped or receivers stopped running their routes. And so that's part of how that grade got so high, even though he had that, you know, quote unquote, box score poor game against the Panthers. Um, So he had a good grade, came out, you know, swinging by all means in 2018. Um, He had a plus 22 uh, passer rating on crossing routes uh, over the league average in 2018, and he was plus 15.7 on hitch routes as well. And like we mentioned before, ideally if John Ross is going to be running these types of routes, and these routes were also two of the foremost run routes by the Rams, I believe, um, then you can expect to see a lot of these, which are good routes for Dalton, good routes for Ross, and hopefully this kind of leads to a perfect marriage in terms of the offense and trying to get this production to get this offense to be the best it can be and help Dalton be the best he can be. Um, And especially just having that extra third option aside from A.J. Green and now Tyler Boyd, who's emerged. Now you have a John Ross who hopefully can be a real weapon because it sounds like he's excited about the offense. It sounds like Zach Taylor's excited about having him. And as Joe's pointed out in his series, Brandon Cooks was a really important element to that offense. You can see where he just drags defenders completely on crossers who are trying to stop him because they know it's so difficult to do. And John Ross can very much do that as well. Um, so having John Ross as a third option with Eifert hopefully healthy and Mixon as well, it's really going to give a lot of weapons to Andy Dalton. And that's when we saw him thrive in you know 2015 when he had a career-high 83.6 grade off of play action. And he ran play action on 23.1% of his dropbacks that year, which ranked 11th. So Dalton, in his last four years, has had a play action grade of 84.2. And when using no play action, he's had a 76.4. So running play action, he's been better than when not running play action. And that's now, the last four years, you said? That is the last four years, yep. Yeah. How does that compare to the league average in those situations? Uh, I can't say for certain right now. I can try and play with the numbers and get that for you. Um, but in terms of looking at the number of pl- number of dropbacks that were play action, um, in 2015, so he was 23.1, that ranked 11th. In 2016, it was 24.1%, which ranked fifth. In 2017, it was 27.6% of his dropbacks were play action, which also ranked fifth. And in 2018, his play action percentage was 27.4, which ranked 10th. So the Bengals have been running play action. So it's not even necessarily Zach Taylor is going to come over and bring play action and the Bengals are going to run 
play action and play action's better, so it's going to make him better. It's definitely made Dalton a better in terms of overall grade and production. But, you know, there's a certain point where just running more play action starts stops to get you such a return. Um, and you kind of see that, too, with them running the play action. His yards per attempt weren't great compared to others. Um, in 2017, when they ran it the fifth most in the league, he only averaged eight yards per attempt, which tied 19th. So kind of close to the middle of the pack there, a little behind. And then in 2018, he only got it up to 8.3, which ranked 21st. Now, when you compare this to the Rams offense, Jared Goff's yards per attempt on play action in 2017 was 10.6, which ranks second. And in 2018, it was 10.0, which ranked fourth. So what we see there is some consistency in at least the average yards per attempt coming off of play action. And what I'm hoping is that with Zach Taylor coming over and bringing that Rams offense, that they won't just use more play action because the key isn't just using more play action. They've already done that. They see that based on the ranks of their play action dropbacks over the last three or four years. Mm-hmm. They've been top 10 almost every year. The key is using the play action more effectively through using motion and deception by running multiple route patterns from the same formations. And you want to make sure you call the plays with good rhythm timing in the game, in terms of the game script and the game flow. You want to call plays with purpose. You don't want to call plays just to call them um, just because they're the call on your call sheet. And Joe did a really good job of highlighting how, they can use these the same formation and run so many different patterns from it to get not only their quarterback and also their receivers in a position to succeed and just get easy plays. Anecdotally speaking, how many times last year did you feel like the Bengals really had to grind for every single yard? You know, there wasn't any play where, oh, well, here comes, you know, Tyler Boyd just, wow, coming across the formation on an underdrag, and there you go. You got 10 yards real easy. He just walked to the boundary. It didn't feel – it felt like they had to earn every yard. And if that happened, it felt like they got lucky almost, you know? Whereas you can see, wow, they made – they went out of their way to make sure Cooper Cup was open on that drag route or that crossing route. Or, wow, look at how Brandon Cooks pulled everybody here so that, you know, Gerald Everett could sneak underneath and run that wheel route out of <laughs> out of the traffic of a play action. So what I'm hoping is that – they won't just be running more play action because they've already been running a lot. What I want is a more effective play action. And I think Zach Taylor is going to be the guy to do that, who will get Andy Dalton more quality looks, hopefully help him feel more comfortable and also help him throw to these open receivers on these play action attempts to try and boost his yards per attempt and take better shots, especially attacking that intermediate part of the field where Andy Dalton has been pretty good, especially attacking the seam. All right. That's a pretty good summary, I'd say, of, of the things that could go well. And I think you highlighted some good points there. It's not about necessarily that there will be more play action. It's about make, setting it up better, I think. And and with that, you know, running a lot of stuff out of the same personnel grouping and the same formation, which it sounds like has been a, a focus, getting a lot of the same pre-snap look and the same mm-hmm. even initial post-snap look and then running a whole bunch of different plays off of that. I think that's a big part of you know, the the predication upon the initial deception that then sets up the rest of the plays. Uh, and, and like you said, getting guys schemed open and and imagine being able to scheme Tyler Eifert open. You don't really need to scheme Tyler, Tyler Eifert open, but if you have the wherewithal to set up the plays to do it, well, suddenly you can get a lot of great production from, from all of your positions. And then 
the question becomes, can you call the right plays at the right time? And Zach Taylor is a first time play caller that that will be his challenge, I think. Absolutely. And I'm really interested to see how he kind of uses you guys have mentioned using Eifert possibly as, you know, almost exclusively a slot receiver. And Joe's pointed out in his breakdowns how they use the slot receiver and some of those receivers to block oftentimes. And it'll be really interesting to see how they kind of play with that rotation at tight end and how they might use that sending either Eifert or maybe even Drew Sample you know, kind of delaying like their pass blocking and then just kind of sneaking across the formation in a little drag or a little crossing route. So I'm really excited to see what kind of what kind of creativity Zach Taylor brings to the offense because it's felt stale at times. And so you want to see yep. something fresh and it seems like players are really getting excited about it and seeing that. Yep, I agree with you 100% there. Let's take our second of two breaks and we'll come back. I want to know if John Jerry has any historical precedence for a guy in his <laughs> 30s taking a year off and coming back to football and, and trying to play guard in the NFL or anywhere on the offensive line, really. And then we'll talk about quickly, we'll get into seeing what you think of our over-under. And we'll see if you agree with your coworker Mike Renner, or if you're more on the side of Evan Silva. And uh, we'll get to all that after this break. Is your team eliminated from the playoffs and in need of reinforcements? Maybe it's time for a rebuild, or maybe they're just a player or two away from taking home the Lombardi Trophy. Either way, join Keith Sanchez and Damian Parson for Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast. They'll tell you which college football stars your team will be taking in the 2024 NFL Draft. Check out Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome back to the Locked On Bengals Podcast here with Evan McPhillips of Pro Football Focus, the media correspondent for the Cincinnati Bengals. Uh, Amongst other things, I imagine, he talked about (laughs) some of his responsibilities and Uh, I asked Evan to tell me if John Jerry, who I think is 33 this season and is coming off a year of not playing football, has any historical precedent in the National Football League of an offensive lineman in his early 30s or even late 20s. I don't know if you would have searched there who took a year off from football and came back. And and just how did they play in those years? So... This took a little bit of digging, and I'm not even quite all that satisfied with the results, but we've got three names here that kind of fall into that territory under that umbrella in some way, shape, or form. So the first guy we've got is Jamarcus Webb. Uh, He was a seventh-round pick by the Chicago Bears in 2010. He's currently 30, and he took a year off due to injury, really. He played with the Seahawks in 2016. And I think he injured his hamstring before they kind of caught it with him. And then he caught on with the Colts last season. He graded fine, which was a 64.5 overall and a 73.6 pass block. But that was only an 81 total snaps before he hurt himself and was shut down for the season. So one example, but not a really great sample size there. Um but it's and an he older guy. Cincinnati of all teams. I know, yeah, he did. And he actually played fairly well. So, yeah, add a little insult to injury there. Um, the other guy I found was Ty Nasecki, who's become pretty popular as of late after being okay. signed by the Bills. Yeah, that's um, somebody that I wanted the Bengals to sign instead of Bobby Hart. <laughs> yeah, no, that, uh, in, in hindsight, I think that. Could have been a uh, prudent move, but you know, hindsight's always twenty twenty. No, I mean but, this off season, he was a free agent. 
Oh yeah, no, I PFF was a big fan of him coming in, especially uh, after after the AFL. So or gosh, AAF, AAF, yeah, That's there it is. Oh man, I was actually diving into a rabbit hole here because while I was looking up a little bit about Tynaseki. I just must have been completely living under a rock, but there was an arena football team called the Los Angeles Kiss. Mm, hadn't heard of it. It was I hadn't either, but I couldn't believe it. And not only is this named for the band Kiss, it was also owned by the band Kiss. Wow. Gene Simmons and Paul Stanley were the owners, and they were around for about two or three years, it looks like. But their their uniforms were actually pretty pretty interesting. But sorry, didn't mean to get down that tangent. That's Anyways, right. <laughs> Tynaseki. He bounced around a little bit. He started off playing a lot of arena football, uh, had a stint with the Colts and the Rams for a little bit. And then he took off, I think it was from, I want to say 2012. Let me look. Yeah, he yeah, played so, in 2012 for LA or for, uh-huh. I guess, at the time they would have been St. Louis? Yeah, St. Louis at the time, yes. The formerly St. Louis Rams. <laughs> yeah, He played for them with eight snaps before he got cut from the team, and then he bounced back and found a spot on Washington's roster in 2015. And in 2015, through the rest of his time in the NFL, he played typically around 300 snaps per game, and he graded pretty well. He was in the 70s or mid-70s or higher in pass blocking, three out of four seasons. Mm -hmm. Was overall grade was above average for three out of four seasons as well. Um, So there is one example of someone who kind of bounced around a little bit is kind of coming back. We'll have to see, but the other op, the other, uh, the other guy who kind of popped up in in the search is Richie incognito, who famously left the dolphins for a year and then signed on with the Buffalo bills. And he had himself a very good season coming back with the bills, getting an 88.9 overall grade. So one guy with a small sample size, one guy, who's, you know, he's been around and hopefully that's, you know, the Tynaseki path is the John Jerry path as well. Um, so yeah, that's, hey, that's Richie Incognito is a pretty good comparison. I mean, those guys played together. They were part of the same scandal. Yeah. They, and they play the same position. <laughs> maybe, maybe we get lucky or maybe the Bengals get lucky and you know, they, they luck into something. It's about how, time. How old was, was Richie Incognito in that year? He's 36 now, so he was 33, or 30, 32 maybe in 2015? Yep, so I mean, hey, that's... There's some parallels. There's, there's a glimmer of hope right, right there, yeah, a couple parallels there, and so maybe maybe the Bengals stumbled onto something here. I mean, you hope he's a better person. Yeah, just a little bit, but, you know, all, all signs are that he's been doing well so far, so hopefully that continues and he makes the good kind of noise. Of course, we all hope Christian Westerman is just Evan Mathis and we don't have to think about it for five years. <laughs> yeah, that would that would make it a lot easier, wouldn't it? I just I just can't I can't if if Christian Westerman goes and is Evan Mathis in Philly or some bullshit like that, I can't do it again. I I crestfallen would not even describe how just devastated that would be. It would be rough. Uh, that would be very rough. PFF is been a part of the Westerman hive and you know he has played limited snaps but when he does he looks really good and he's one of those guys that you see you just you want him yeah. to get a chance more than just a, a slight run of the spot so yeah. hopefully he can make the most of his opportunity here coming up in camp it sounds like according to Paul Danner he's option one right now at left guard so we'll see we'll see what shakes out in training camp that's 
Good. We'll see. Yeah, exactly. It's, you know, reports like you guys have mentioned have been that he struggled a little bit with the playbook and the X's nose sometimes, but it sounds like Zach Taylor's done a good job of really simplifying the offense and allowing these guys just to play football. And maybe that brings out the best in Westerman. And, you know, you see that kind of Evan Mathis like rise that I'm sure all Bengals fans are clamoring for from anybody to just, you know, step up on the offensive line. Just somebody. Bobby Hart, <laughs> turn into Jason Peters somehow. <laughs> you can do it, buddy. If he just closes his eyes and believes hard enough. Yeah. That's how blocking works in the NFL, right? <laughs> that's I I think that's the logic. I think that's what you know, that's what Paul Alexander teaches. Sorry, Paul. That's not what you teach. Yeah, right. he's been doing he's been doing a good job with his video series as of late. Yeah, it's it's really enjoyable. I love what Paul Paul Alexander's doing on Twitter. I just I just want him to answer what happened with Cedric Abuehi. <laughs> I just wanted. Oh, I just yeah. wanted to like thirty seconds. What happened? Why, why did didn't Russell it work? Nine start for so long. <laughs> what? Yeah. Anyway, and also Russell Bodine. <laughs> I wanted to answer for Russell Bodine too. Anyway, <laughs> let's get to the last topic of the conversation, Evan. Joe and I worked through the schedule, and we came up with a over under of six and a half wins for the Bengals in two thousand nineteen. Where do you fall on that over under line? So. Our chief, di- our chief data scientist, Eric Eager, said that our model has the Bengals winning seven and a half games this season. Oh, okay. PFF oh, yeah, likes them a they're, little more than we do. They're, yeah, no. And honestly, looking at the Bengals' schedule, man, I, I'm i bullish on them too. I, I, think that, I think that it could end up being around that over mark, around that seven, eight win mark. Um, I'm looking particularly against uh, they play the Bills on the road on Fortunately, they play the Cardinals, the Jets, and the Dolphins. So that's four potential wins right there, or at least what if, if you asked a casual Bengals fan, you would probably assume that they can win at least those four games. Do you want to go games. through this real quick? Let's go through it real quick. Yeah, let's go so ahead. week one at Seahawks, we had that as a loss, or we had that as them being underdogs. Oh, uh, yeah. No, I agree with that. I, I mean, think, I, I think back one, to the— they're shocked. I, I think back to the Andy Dalton call his own number, dive into the end zone to win after capping off an epic comeback against the Seahawks. And well, that was in Cincinnati, wasn't it? Yeah, no, I, it was. And yeah, yeah I, I wish they could recapture some of that magic, but that's living in the past. And I you think know what? Earl Thomas is gone. Hey, they just have to something. play him twice a year now. Yeah, no, we still got to watch out for Bobby Wagner, but you know, hopefully Zach Taylor can is smart enough to avoid him after playing out there for so long. Yeah. Okay, so week week two, 49ers at home. I like the Bengals as favorites in that one. I do too. I think it's going to be uh, it's going to be interesting with Jimmy G kind of coming back, and they've got some interesting weapons down there. Marquise Goodwin and Dante Pettis. I mean, that's a handful of a receiver sure. group right yeah. there. And George Kittle coming up the seam terrifies any linebacking core, let alone yeah. the Bengals. So, um, but I think ultimately the Bengals defense is really kind of what's going to be their, their staple. I think the offense, if it can at least be consistent, I think William Jackson, Drake Patrick and Darquez Denard and probably BW Webb as well, make up a pretty solid secondary with Jesse Bates kind of man in the backfield and letting Sean Williams kind of roam around and play that kind of box safety role if he needs to, because Jesse Bates can hopefully give them that flexibility. And then with Carl Lawson, hopefully coming back healthy. I mean, that, defensive line should still be one of the better ones in the AFC, especially if they can find someone to just play some good pass rushing snaps across from Geno. Yeah. So the, the big question there is really Lou Anarumo is, and, and do the players mesh with him a way that they didn't mesh with Tara Lawson? 
Absolutely. And you we, hope we've been talking that, about that one and we really just don't know. We don't know anything about Luana Rumo. You hope the kind of newness of everything in this honeymoon period just gets everybody off to a, a good sure. start. Yeah. Um, but you know, we're not in the business of hoping. <laughs> no, not so much. So it's close, but I have the Bengals favored there at bills uh, is probably like, I, I think that at best that's a push. I think the Bengals are probably dogs there, but I agree with you that they could win that game. It's just on the road, I think they're probably a very similar team in Vegas' eyes as as, as Buffalo. So maybe maybe your model has them winning that game, but home field advantage in Buffalo, uh, I think it could be close. They've generally That's played pretty tough. close over the years. Yeah, and don't you know? No one should underrate the Bills and especially the strides they've taken. I mean, that defense is it's nasty, and they're putting together a heck of a coaching staff over there too. Mm-hmm. So I wouldn't be surprised for that to be a really close game. Um, just looking at it. I'd lean toward the Bengals offense, just giving them a slight push, okay. you know, a John, a Josh Allen interception here, or there, hopefully the Bengals can just take care of the ball and be consistent on offense. So, you know, that's the key, right? Is if they can consistently put together a couple drives, sure. it, it won't be so, so much pressure on the defense and yeah. hopefully they can get that all figured out. But um, and, I'm going to call that a Bengals win. The, the question in that game is, is does Josh Allen take a step? Yes. Right. So at Steelers in week four, I think we can comfortably say is an unfortunate underdog for the Bengals and, and probably a loss. Just the primetime element. I'm going to steer away from that game. Yeah. Uh, been a Bengals fan, you know, been dealing with that all we my life. So, lesson. yeah, learned this lesson really well. I faded the Bengals hard against the Chiefs last season. I would, I would love it if the Bengals got out of their first four games two and two. If they get out of the first four games three and one, then they're much better than we think they are. Absolutely. All right. On to the Cardinals. I think we agree. Cardinals at home, rookie quarterback, not a whole lot going on on that team. Mm-hmm. Easy Bengals favorite. Although, who knows? If Kyler Murray comes out there and he's as good as you guys think he might be, absolutely, might be a surprise. But but I think <laughs> we can call that, for you, that's three and two for the Bengals at that point. Then they go to Baltimore. That's, that's an interesting one, isn't it? And at this Baltimore's point, in my mind, I kind of think – I kind of think in the terms of, okay, we've got a season series here. Very, very likely possibility that it ends up splitting the series one and one. 100%. So let's say this one on the road, the Bengals come in just short. Okay. That is going to be really interesting to see what the the offense for Baltimore is looking like. Yeah, and I don't know if the Bengals have the speed to deal with it, to be honest. But we'll we'll have to see how it goes. I think that it will be inconsistent for, for Baltimore. And mm-hmm. that's what opens the door. But if it's going well and they're calling mm-hmm. a good game, I don't think the Bengals have the speed on defense to deal with it. You can definitely see how they struggled to cover their tight end. Uh, you know, and Baltimore's got you know five different tight ends they yeah. can throw to at any. Time. Well, they so added so much speed Bengals in this offseason, too. Mm-hmm. Adam Brown definitely uh, gave Lamar Jackson a big play target on those play action looks. Yeah. That's going to make people kind of second guess a little bit. And if yeah. you take one false step with him running down the sideline. As long as Lamar Jackson can hit him, you know, if he if he can yeah, throw the ball right. accurately, I think the Ravens are going to be a really threatening team. And that is the question for the Ravens. So on to the Jaguars at home. Are we going to get the 2018 Jaguars? Or are we going to get the 2017 <sighs> Jaguars? That's the question, isn't it? Is is this going to be the world beater defense that people compare to the 85 Bears, or is it going to be that kind of shell of what we saw the year prior, where? Everything just looks like it's just sputtering for the Jags on offense and defense. 
I'm kind of counting on some some growing pains here. You got a new quarterback, and and Nick Foles doesn't exactly inspire out. much confidence either. He's he's solid, you know. I mean, he's solid, and so basically, you're looking at the weapons on the rest of the team here, and just I got to give the push to the Bengals there. Sure. You know, the edge Bengals, of the Bengals. At home, I'll take it. So so at this point, we're four and four. Mm-hmm. We're hosting the Rams in 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 London, right? Is yeah, this the London that's... game? No, this isn't the London game. Uh, I believe it is. Is this the London game? It just is somehow is. also at the same time? It is. I, okay. I guess, yeah, yeah. yeah. So so this is technically an away game, actually. Mm-hmm. So, technically an away game. Hopefully I think, the, the I think they get crushed. The UK are out in full force. <laughs> I think they get crushed, and I think we can talk about Ravens next week. I think they win. So we're 5-5. Five yep. five. Mm-hmm. I think this is a pretty optimistic projection at this point, Evan. I got to say they go to Oakland <laughs> for, for game 11. And uh-huh. I think this is a loss. Really? I think that the Bengals historically have won like once in Oakland. <laughs> and uh, that was the last time they played there. I, I'm sure they've won more than once, but they had lost many, many games in a row in Oakland until their last visit. And I think that, uh, with uh, with Antonio Brown, with Mike Mayock at the helm, I don't feel good about the Bengals going to Oakland. Well, maybe William Jackson can pull uh, pull some of his tricks out and kind of lock up Antonio yeah. Brown a little bit, and yeah. then maybe maybe that'll help them get some daylight. Sure. But I you think I the like Raiders the are bad? I I don't think they're bad necessarily. I just I don't know if I've seen enough improvement on the defensive end. I, I like that they added Cleveland Farrell. I just, I think that what Zach about Taylor's birthday. You don't think he's going to have a renaissance here out there? Oh, I'm thinking about him, and <laughs> I'm thinking about him trying to cover, you know, Tyler Boyd on a crosser or a little wheel route across the field. And as long as you wait until really... he's past Vontez before you throw it. To him. <laughs> well, we never know, you know, with Vontez just kind of roaming the field. Maybe he's completely out of position, and they can just run right up the middle. But I, I just. It's going to be a close one. You're right. You you kind of feel like the Raiders should be favored in this one. They've made some big improvements, and I think another year in John Gruden's system is going to help them out a lot. And I can understand, yeah, taking the loss for the Bengals for the sake of the uh, for the sake of the exercise here. We'll call it a loss for the Bengals to try and remain conservative in our win projection here. At some point, they're going to lose a game they're supposed to win. Absolutely. And they're yeah. going to win a game they're supposed to – well, maybe not. But but they'll probably win a game they're supposed to lose. But, I mean, the, the, the question for, for the Raiders, I think, is the offensive line. I think they have the pieces for a successful offense outside of that offensive line, which is yep. not good. And then on the defensive side of the ball is, all right, is Maurice Hurst going to be the player we think he can be? Uh, is Cleveland Farrell going to prove that he was worth the fourth overall pick? Uh, there, there are a lot of questions on the defensive side of the ball. They have Carl Joseph and the Marcus Joyner in the secondary, which you'd like. I think uh, Garyon Conley and if Isaiah Johnson, I, I think he needs a few years, but I loved Isaiah Johnson out of Houston in the draft. And that's the thing with the, the defense of the Raiders is you start naming all these players and it's like, wow, it's a talented guy. It's a talented guy. But a lot of them are still young too. There and, you know, Carl Joseph didn't really get that playing experience exactly too for, his, for whatever reason John Gruden refused to play for a while there um but you're kind of relying on all these players to step forward and there's kind and of this Paul just like, absolutely and you're kind of there's always this kind of in your mind thinking player progressions are kind of linear in fashion 
just because that's the way it makes sense. You know, oh, another year they get better, they have more practice, they get stronger, they know more, you know. But players go up and down. Exactly. So, you know, you can assume, let's just say for, you know, an arbitrary number, 50% of those guys, you know, let's say Cleveland Farrell and Gary O'Connolly, they have really good seasons. And then Carl Joseph takes a step back. And then Arden Key, you know, just kind of washes out and doesn't do well. Or Maurice Hurst has health problems maybe. You know, God forbid. right now. Yeah. So that's that's kind of what's going on where it just makes me maybe just hesitate and say the Raiders have a good, lot of good talent, but maybe it's just not quite there yet. I think it's close. It's are definitely we, really close. Are we calling it a half? Let's call it a half. All right. So we're, we're at five, five and one, I think, or six, five like, and one. Gosh, you're going to make me go back and count. <laughs> There's six uh, games left. So we're at five, five and there's six right. games left, so we're too many games. <laughs> All right. Seahawks, 0-1. <laughs> 49ers, 1-1. Bills, 2-1. Steelers, 2-2. Cardinals, 3-2. Uh, Ravens, 3-3. Three three. Jaguars, 4-3. Four Rams, 4-4. Four four. Ravens, 5-4. Five 5-4-1. Four. Five, four okay. And then we're hosting the Steelers, and I think they lose again. Man. I would like yeah, to think just... that they would win, but... See, Until they the prove that they're going to win those games, yeah. I, I won't believe it. You're right. You're right. It's tough. I mean, and that's the that's the thing, isn't it? Is trying to have optimism as a Bengals fan for a new beginning, a new chapter, it's when hard. everything has seemed so stagnant for a while. It's hard with how much false hope you feel like you've been given in the past, and it's tough to kind of move forward and have a fresh outlook while also kind of maintaining that reserved optimism. And it, um, it's not like there was a lot of roster churn either. We expected there to be more roster turnover than there was, but it's, it's largely the same roster as it was in 2018. Mm-hmm. And I'm just curious how the offense looks for the Steelers now with big Ben getting a little bit older. He kind of teetered off in production there a little bit last season. Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously, Juju Smith-Schuster has been really good next to Antonio Brown. It'll be really interesting to see how he kind of operates as the number one target. And then they also added Deontay Johnson, right, in the third round. And yeah. I think that's an interesting kind of prospect there and gives them an interesting weapon. Yeah. And obviously, you have James Conner coming out of the backfield. And, the and Steelers that offensive line. That, mm-hmm, yeah. So they definitely have the weapons. It's, again, kind of like what I – my questions about the Raiders. How does it all mesh together? How do all of these kind of moving parts come together? And you know the Steelers. They seem to always kind of figure it out, especially when they play the Bengals. So I think I'll go with you and just give the Bengals the loss here until they can prove that they've exercised their demons against the Steelers. And and Sean Serrett is his – is the first – this is going to be his first year as an offensive line coach for Pittsburgh. So they lost their offensive line coach, which is something to keep an eye on. Mm-hmm. And also, there's a new offensive coordinator. Is that correct, Randy Fitchner? He's this is his first year there. Yeah, yeah. So they have a first-time offensive coordinator who is promoted from within. He was a quarterbacks coach, and they have a first-time offensive line coach. So if you mm-hmm. want to point to reasons to think that offense will struggle, there you go. The defense, on the other hand, I think could get a little bit better. They could bounce back. They added. Uh, uh, the linebacker Devin Smith in the first round, mm-hmm. they, th- you know, they they always seem to figure it out on defense. Yeah, Devin Bush is definitely going to help them out a lot. Um, I think Bengals fans are obviously going to have a little sour taste in their mouth for a little care. bit. Myself. I, I, 
I yeah, I know you personally don't care, but some people may, you know, just any reason that you oh, can yeah, get to, you know, sure. bag on the Steelers a little bit. Um, but no, I think they're taking some steps forward. They're getting a little older. You know, TJ Watt is kind of figuring things out a little bit. I um, think TJ Watt has some work to do before I'm sold as, as he as a all pro or not all pro, but even a pro bowl. I agree. His, his numbers I were a little bit inflated. Exactly. He, he suffered. He had a little bit of the Vic Beasley effect last season. Yeah. Uh, a little, little cleanup variety stuff. Um, but no, I think he's he did a good job as a rookie and at least performed well. It didn't take a step back last year. So um, really, it's just about that secondary. Can the Bengals take advantage of? a secondary that's kind of been the bane of the Steelers defense here for a little bit. And at this point, how healthy are these teams? Mm-hmm. When, yeah, when you start that's to another tough thing. This late yeah. into the season, yeah, it's a crapshoot. But let's move on. Oh. We're at 5-5-1 uh, five, five and one now, mm-hmm. I think. And, and we're hosting the Jets. So is Sam Darnold good? Man, down the stretch there, the last three, four weeks of the season, he was lights out. Uh, he was... I can actually pull up exactly what his uh, what his rank was. It was very good. <laughs> That's the moral of the story there. He was very good over the last three or four games of the season. Um, it's whether you think Adam Gase can kind of take that step forward. You know, the Jets have kind of been a little bit of a fiasco here. Uh, not necessarily a fiasco, but a bit of a media circus, as New York can tend to be. Yeah. Um, there's a lot going on there, especially with the whole – Adam Gase said he didn't want Le'Veon Bell, but then he does. And so it's it's a whole lot going on over there. But if they can cut through all the noise and just get down to brass tacks and figure out how to just not get obliterated in games, if they can just continue to improve a little bit, give Sam Darnold some more options, give him some protection, then I think he has the ability to make some plays. And I think adding Le'Veon is going to be good for him. I think – Robbie Anderson probably is going to be a really interesting player this year. Someone definitely I'd be targeting in fantasy. I think he's going to take a step forward, and I think Darnold taking a step forward as well is something we can see. Um, and I think they, they had a pretty good draft, too. I think Quentin Williams consensus best player in the draft. Ja'Kai Polite in the third round, if he can show that he's more of what he showed on tape than what he did at the Combine, that's a great value pick. Chuma Adoga in the late third, love that pick. Getting Blake mm-hmm. Cashman in the fifth round behind that defensive line, I think, is a fantastic, oh, yeah. fantastic fit. Great situation. Yeah, I mean, that's a perfect – both him and Ben Burkirvan landed in the perfect situations. And we've talked about that on the podcast. But I, yeah. I think that defense looks really good. It does. It definitely so, does. So really the I, questions are, like we said, the offense now. There's a lot of Do they have new, weapons? Do they Robbie have Anderson weapons? and Le'Veon Bell, Le'Veon Bell and Chris Herndon enough to carry the load? Quincy Inouye, give him some credit too. He's he's not bad Last out of the time? slot, but yeah, Last no, it's okay. <laughs> it's definitely uh, it's going to take a little bit of gelling for them to kind of yeah. figure out. I think their offensive identity. So we'll see if the Jets can figure that out by December when they play the Bengals. Yeah. So what what are we saying here? What's your what's uh, your take? I'm going to give it to the home team here. I think the Bengals are going to take this one on a younger team that's just still trying to find their identity. All right, so we're six five and one with four games to go. I'm, I'm liking it so. Far. Let's oh, go now quick. This Let's is just do the Browns you. quick here. Are this they going to uh, split or are they going to get swept? The question here is do you buy the hype for the Browns? The hype train is moving ahead at full speed. So it's either going to. I think that's a safe bet. I think the Browns, and I hear Eric say this a lot, and I think it's a good point that it's easier to get from 
you know, one or zero or two wins to seven or eight wins, but it's really hard to get from that seven or eight wins to nine or 10 wins. Mm -hmm. And I think you kind of see that a little bit with the Browns team that's younger is not maybe used to winning. Maybe just toward the end of the stretch, they get a little satisfied. Maybe they're in such a good position record wise that they're not really worried about the Bengals at that point in the season being the last week of the season there for their second matchup. So I'm going to lead Browns this one, considering that they're at home. Uh, you know, Browns fans are ravenous, and especially in Cleveland with what they got going on now, I, I can't imagine what it's going to be like there. So yeah. I think I'll give the Browns this one. I mean, assuming assuming roughly equal health for these two teams, I think you have to lean Browns here. Patriots in week 14, 15, sorry, I think is a pretty clear <laughs> nod to the Patriots unless Tom Brady finally falls apart this year. But until I see it, I won't believe it. <laughs> yeah. And, and no, then they go I, to I, Miami where they've historically struggled, it feels like. But, you know, they'll need to win the game at this point because now we're to we – were, we were 6-5-1. Now we're 6-7-1 with two games to play. So are was they going to get to seven? Where Gino tore his ACL was that in Miami? It was in Miami on a Thursday night. I was going to say I, I could feel some PTSD coming back, so yeah. I figured that was probably what it was from. But I think just a really young team with some holes in the offensive line. They're still trying to fill. I mean, Larry Mitunsel is really good, but they're still trying to figure out the rest of it all. Yeah, the Josh Rosen win this game. Out of this situation. Yeah, you really just hope kind of at the end for a team that's supposedly going to be tanking that, especially at the end of the season there in the last two games, they're going to be caring more about their draft position than winning a game that really doesn't matter to them and can only end up hurting them in the end. So they're so they're seven seven and one heading into the last week against the Browns, and and either way, they're they're probably not a playoff team at this point. But they, they have the chance maybe to play spoiler for the Browns, depending on how well their season goes. I, I still, I don't know. Getting to eight wins seems like a lot. It does. Uh, it but they, seems there's like some you're projecting real a, lot of, a lot of success. It feels like you're hoping for the best scenario in a lot of this. And a lot of what we've talked about here is if the Bengals can be consistent on offense, if they can keep these drives going and not stall and get these three and outs all the time or get one first down and then immediately go three and out there, then you're asking for a lot. You've got some contingencies and some caveats here that you're kind of qualifying, but I mean, you got to hope for the best right now. And that's all you can do as a Bengals fan. I mean, there's, it's going to be a long summer waiting for <laughs> training camp and kickoff otherwise. So got two I weeks. think that, uh, it's going to be a long two weeks. And long then, yeah, training, Trust me, training camp that. is only going to feel so much. There's going to be a lot of coach speak, and you're going to have to, you know, cut through the smoke a little bit of people just getting talked up. But can't wait for some preseason football. At least we can see some of these guys on the field. Yeah. I would like to see if Deshaun Davis has earned his Madden speed rating, which I think is way too high. <laughs> I'll tell you what. I'm kind of interested to see Jordan Brown a little bit. He's kind of – Jordan Brown's a good wild card. I that's the thing is he's a big X factor because Will he just he intrigues me. I want to know I want to know what he is I don't know what he is but I want to know whether it's really bad or really good because his coverage grade was good in college I mean when you start looking at his stats from his senior year I mean he allowed a forty one point seven catch percentage twelve pass deflections and three interceptions I mean only on twenty. I mean the ball skills are there and a pass rating of forty four point seven when targeted I mean. But the problem is he has that propensity to give up the big play. So it's, you know, the double-edged sword. Yeah, he can lock some people 
down, but he also gets burned, and when he does, it's deep. So I really want to see if maybe he can put together any type of consistency there. I mean, you know, that kind of fourth and fifth spot. Well, I guess B.W. Webb and Darquez Denard now would be the fifth spot, the sixth spot there. So it'll be interesting to see who they keep between, you know, Tony McRae and Kavari Russell and Jordan Brown there. So, and Darius Phillips as well. I think Brown is a really good practice squad candidate. I think so too. And, you know, I'd like to keep him around because obviously he's got talent. If he can clean some things up, I think in a right system or in the right role, he could at least be a good player. Yep. I'm with you. All right, Evan, it has been a treat. You have the Bengals going eight, seven, and one. Is that right? Well, I guess it was. Well, yeah, I guess eight, eight seven, and one. Yeah, or, that's or, or if we eight, uh, seven and push, and it's either eight and eight or nine and seven. Yeah. So either way, it's going to be over that little six and a half total that they they've got for the Bengals that they're touting. So all right, if, you're you're with your coworker Mike. I guess that shouldn't be surprising as you are working from the same data set. But we'll take it. We'll take any optimism <laughs> we can get. I tried really hard yesterday. Oh, I forgot to do our countdown to kickoff today. I'll save it to do with Joe for later. I tried really hard with with uh, Alex Redman to to spin it uh, positively. I, so. You guys had me kind of looking up like, you know what, maybe there's hope. So you guys there did a good a job glimmer. of that. So, yeah, there was a slight glimmer where, you know, things weren't so dark for a while on my yeah. drive to work. <laughs> yeah, there's a glimmer there with with Alex Redmond if, if you choose to look at it from a certain perspective. Anyway, thanks for joining us, Evan. We hope to have you again. We look forward to working with you throughout the year. You can find him on Twitter. Evan, I'll let you shout yourself out one more time. Uh, follow our main account at PFF and follow your Bengals specific PFF related stats for the season at PFF underscore Bengals. And you can follow my personal account at EMCPHIL. And I hope to have some breakdowns and some interesting stats and tidbits for you as the season rolls on. Evan is pretty much what I did at Pro Football Focus all those years ago, but it sounds like he's had a little bit more exposure getting to do some work in the office down there in Cincinnati. Well, it was a treat, Evan. Thanks again for coming on to the podcast. Thanks for having me. And until next time, Bengals fans, have a good one. If you're looking for the most comprehensive NFL draft coverage this offseason, look no further than the Locked On NFL Scouting Podcast. Join the draft dudes, Kyle Krabs and Joe Marino, as they go position by position through the NFL free agent class and into the star-studded crop of college stars who will be selected in the 2024 NFL Draft. If you want to know who your favorite NFL team should be adding to its roster, you need to check out Locked On NFL Scouting. Available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Is your team eliminated from the playoffs and in need of reinforcements? Maybe it's time for a rebuild, or maybe they're just a player or two away from taking home the Lombardi Trophy. Either way, join Keith Sanchez and Damian Parson for Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast. They'll tell you which college football stars your team will be taking in the 2024 NFL Draft. Check out Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.